prophetic book uh, a week or so ago, and I want us to uh, to delve into the text tonight. If, if you don't have an outline, uh, I think we do we have an extra outline, ushers. Uh, if not, uh, Bev, can you make us a few? Uh, if you don't have an outline, just raise your hand. I think they'll they'll get you some. Okay, we need about maybe ten or so. Okay, we'll we'll look in the book of Joel, and let's uh, let's go to the first chapter, verse number thirteen. Now, remember we talked about uh, when we first started reading this book in this first chapter. Uh, Joel, as the outline says, is, is the son of Pethiel, and Joel's name means the Lord is God. And the theme from this book is that blessings from God follows obedience to him. Everybody say blessing from God follows obedience to him. The average Christian wants the blessings from the Lord before he or she will obey the Lord. But the order is reversed. Blessings from God follows obedience to him. And so we, when we come to the, the scene in our text, this first chapter, which we'll, we'll start our reading again at verse number 13, Joel chapter 1, verse number 13, uh, we are, have read about the locust plague and how that locust plague was actually uh, symbolic of the day of the Lord that was coming uh, in the future. The day of the Lord had many different meanings uh, in, in Scripture, and sometimes it meant an immediate context of something was going to happen at that point in time. But ultimately, it points toward the day of the Lord when Jesus comes and sets up rule and reign on earth, and when the day comes, well, he'll, he'll provide judgment uh, to the world, okay? So ultimately, that's what the day of the Lord ends up winding up being. So but again, this locust plague was actually symbolic of the judgment of Lord that was coming upon the nation, the nation who had become uh, rich and complacent, the nation who had um, out of their uh, their prosperity and out of their wealth and out of them having stuff, they forgot about the Lord. Do y'all know any people like that when they get when they get get up on their feet and they get going? When they were kind of down and low, you were their friend. You, you, you couldn't turn from them, right? But the moment they got a few dollars above rent money, the moment they began to, to move and to, and to look like they were having a measure of success, they forgot all about you. And that's the way we would do God. People do God. In other words, as long as, 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 as there's pressure, as long as there's suffering, people are turning to God. But the moment God blesses, uh, man has a tendency to turn his back on him. That's why in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, God warned the children of Israel before going to the promised land. It says, thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee the power or the ability to get wealth so that he may what? Establish his covenant. What he's saying is, when I give you this land, when I place you into the land of promise and you begin to prosper, don't forget about me. All right. Now, let me say something right quick on that. And, and, and I'm going to get to this verse because I got to move. My time is moving. But, but one of the things I want us to recognize and know is that is that that, that we have to. Everybody say we have to. We have to. Uh, we, we, we have to be obedient to God, because if we if we want to walk in his divine blessing. Now, one of the things I, I, I would tell you is that uh, sometimes when God blesses us with a, with a better paying job or give us that promotion, how often do we come back and honor God with, uh, with a, a portion of what he's blessed us with on our increase? 
How often do we think about, okay, honoring God for the promotion, honoring God for the bonus, honoring God for uh, the new opportunity he gave us, honoring God for the new home, honoring God for the new vehicle, honoring him, uh, which means which means honoring him means to uh, to to give of something, give up something that's dear uh, to you, uh, to sacrifice something that you really, amen, want to uh, keep for yourself. Amen. Uh, guys, if y'all would turn it back te television on for me, you got to do it manual, if you will. But Kenny. Um, but again, uh, so when God got when God blesses us, let's make sure we don't get into a position where we forget about him. OK. All right. Let's. Um, so let's look. Let's look at verse number 13 and we'll begin to uh, to move right along here. Verse number 13 from the New Living Translation. The text says this. Dress yourselves in burlap and weep, you priests. Well, you who serve before the altar. Come spend the night in burlap, you ministers of my God, for there is no grain of wine to offer the temple of our God. Now, again, what we saw here when we read this on last week was the fact that he was telling them to it's time for us to to do something different. It's time for us to repent. Now, on your outline, we said that, that we're going to look at the key application concepts from the book of Joel. And the first thing that we we put in our outline was it says when bad things happen, that's a good time to examine your life and purge out any known sin. When bad things happen, that's a good time to 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 look at your own life and see where do I really stand? OK, uh, and do I have anything in my life that's going on that should not be there? The second thing that we told you was is that future judgment ought to motivate present repentance for everyone. Future judgment. Look at what he says here in verse number 14. He says, announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn assembly. Bring the leaders and all the people of the land into the temple of the Lord your God and cry out to him there. Now, why was he telling them to do this? What was going on again? Come on, let's go back and reflect and remember. What was happening to Judah in this, uh, the children of Israel? What was happening to God's people in this text? Huh? There was a famine in the land. There was a famine in the land. Uh, the locust plague had, had come upon them. And that, that, that locust plague was actually a sign of future judgment, right? It was a sign of future judgment. So, so here he's telling them, here's what you do whenever you're facing, amen, the judgment of God. Because when God's judgment comes, that means that we didn't face it our own self. God gives every one of us an opportunity to correct some things in our life. Is that right? God will give us the opportunity to correct, amen, our wrongdoing. So we have to be uh, honest enough with ourselves and do some self-evaluation. How many of you have ever been in sin or been doing something that you know wasn't right, but you really didn't come clean with God or anybody else? Anybody? In other words, you, you had that undercover sin going on. Anybody ever been in the undercover sin? I mean, you, you thank God, you repented, he forgave you, you got out of it, and you don't want anybody to know about it, right? I mean, we're not, we're not proud of it, but, but maybe, let, let's, okay, maybe that test that you end up getting an A on, nobody knows but you that, that somebody slipped you a copy of the test before the test, and you made an A on it and got an A out of the class because you cheated. 
I'm not going to even ask you how many of y'all have cheated on the test before. But, but that's one of those secret sins that you as a believer should never indulge in. Right? Or whatever it is. I don't care what it is. When we are facing adversity, that's a time for us to look into our lives and say, do I have something going on inside of me that I need to get rid of? Amen? So, again, look at what it says here. Here's what we should do whenever we're facing this kind of stuff. Sanctify, what KJV says, KJV says, sanctify you a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord. But verse 15 says this. Look at verse 15 with it. It says, the day of the Lord is near. The day, the day of the Lord is near, the day when destruction comes from the Almighty. How terrible that day will be. Now again, remember, he's, he's, the locust plague is foreshadowing what was going to happen when the invading army was going to come in and wipe God's people out because of their what? Disobedience. Because remember we said blessings from God follows obedience to him. Can we repeat it again? Say blessing from God follows obedience to him. So the day of the Lord is going to be a terrible time. Specifically in this text, it's talking about when the invading army comes to get them to wipe them out. But it's also foreshadowing the day of the Lord that's going to be thousands of years into the future. So again, let's go back. We, we left off last week talking about future judgment ought to motivate present repentance for everyone. Let's go to the second chapter right now. Uh, look, look at verse number one of, of Joel chapter two. And the text reads, which says, sound the alarm in Jerusalem, raise the battle cry on my holy mountain. Let everyone tremble in fear because the day of the Lord is upon us. All right. Now, what he's saying is be fearful because the day of the Lord is coming. Judgment is coming. Now, I told you on last week uh, that that we as Christians will face judgment. We as Christians are going to have a time where our life is going to be weighed on the scales of justice as it relates to God's uh, examining our life. Go with me right quick to uh, Romans, the 14th chapter, and we'll start reading at verse number eight. Romans chapter 14, verse number eight. God gives all of us an opportunity to judge ourselves. God gives all of us an opportunity to judge ourselves. So what is it? How, how does judging yourself? What, what does judging yourself look like? Somebody help me. What does it mean to judge yourself? Daisy, real quick. OK, face up to what you know you've done. Absolutely. Anybody else? When you judge yourself, face up to what you know you've done and do what else. Not only must you face up to it, but you got to confess it and be real with God about it. God already knows. But he's waiting on us to come clean because how many of you know? It's easy for us to operate in self-deception, to think that we are better than what we actually are. And so God says, judge it so that I don't have to judge it. Go to Romans, the 14th chapter, and look at verse number eight. Let's read it out loud and on purpose. Ready to read. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to whom? To the Lord. Verse nine. Let's read together. It says what? Christ died and rose again for this very purpose to be Lord, both of the living and of the dead. Verse number 10. Let's read. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down 
on another believer, remember, watch this, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Read one more time. We will all what? Stand before the judgment seat of God. So none of us are immune. None of us will escape the judgment seat of God. Let's go to the next verse. Verse number 11. Let's read it out loud on purpose. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will confess and give praise to God. 12 and 13. Let's read. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Now stop right there. Let that soak in. Let it soak in. Each one of us are going to have to give a personal account to God. Is that what the word says? So that means we're going to, we're going to all, we're going to all be before the judgment seat of God. Now watch, look at the next verse. It says what? So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer, believer to stumble and fall. Now watch the context of the book of Romans here because what was happening here was when you had a merging of, of those who were, uh, came up under Judaism, who, who, who were naturally born Jew, they were, they, 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 their, their ethnicity was Jewish. And so they grew up under Judaism where they had all these dietary restrictions and couldn't eat certain types of meat. You had certain holy days and uh, you couldn't eat meat that had been offered unto idols. And so you have those who grew up uh, under Judaism who are in the church now. They're part of the church, the body of Christ, and they're coming together and merging with these Gentile believers, uh, Brother Danny, who didn't grow up uh, circumcised, who didn't grow up uh, not eating certain kinds of meat, who didn't grow up having certain holy days that they observed, who didn't grow up with certain dress codes. So you got those who came out of Judaism merging together in the church with those who came from Gentile backgrounds. And that merging together caused friction in the church. How many know when you have people from different backgrounds, different places, it can cause some, some friction? Can I get a witness? If you married to somebody who didn't come from the same background that you came from, it causes what? Friction. How many of y'all marry somebody different than you? Can I see your hand? All right. You, you, you marry somebody different than you who maybe grew up different than you. And so as a result, the two becoming one flesh becomes a little bit more difficult because what, what do we try to do? We try to make the person be just like us. Is that right? We try to, we, we want... We want our spouse to act just like us, laugh at the same thing we laugh at, uh, behave the same way we say, hey, even we, we'll even try to give them to eat the same food that we eat. But because we are different, coming together into one body, it causes friction in the relationship. That's why a lot of marriages don't make it because people don't recognize that you are come from different backgrounds and quit trying to change that person to make, be just like you. When I say change that person, I, I don't, I'm not talking about sinful stuff that a person may be doing, but you, we all have different personality bents. We all uh, have different likes and dislikes. So don't try to change that person to be just like you. Appreciate the differences and come together on the common ground of Jesus Christ. So in Romans, when he writes this right here, there was friction in the church because there were some who came from Gentile backgrounds who thought it was okay to eat meat that had been offered unto idols. Who thought it was okay to not observe certain Jewish holidays? 
So now it was causing problems. So what, what they were doing was, particularly those who were what Paul called weak in the faith, people who were weak in the faith were those who did not understand that it was okay to eat meat that was offered unto idols. And they thought it was sin. And whenever they ate it, because it violated their conscience, to, him, to them it was sin. And so what Paul is saying is, you who know better, stop judging those who don't know better. You who are strong, don't judge those who are weak who think it's wrong to eat that meat that's been offered in idols. Are y'all following me? Okay, can we bring it to modern day terms? Y'all don't have a meat problem, right? But you do, you, you, if you're not careful, you'll have, you'll have a, a, a problem with people who, who, who have a conviction about a certain area. There are people still today in the year 2018 who believe that no woman should ever wear pants. Right? There are some places, there are some churches you go to, and they will kind of frown upon you coming through the doors uh, just as you are. Coming off, you know, maybe you came from work with your scrubs on because you, you had just enough time to get out of work, pick your baby up, and come to church. But you had you didn't have a dress on. And so they in their minds, that's sinful. So now what do you do? You who are strong in faith know that it's okay because your outward appearance don't bring inward righteousness, right? Can I get a witness? I, you, you can dress up 365 days out of the year and it, what, is it 366 on a leap year? The, so if it's a leap year, 366 days out of you, you can dress up. Your dressing up on the outside does not bring in with righteousness. We know that. We understand that, right? But, everybody say but. But if I go to a church or if I'm involved or I'm engaged relationally with someone who, does, who has a conviction that is wrong for you to come to church with a dress on, then what are we going to do as mature believers? You're going to throw that dress on. Mature believers. When you go to the church, don't walk up and say, I'm walking in my freedom, baby. I know, that, I know my outward appearance does not determine my inward righteousness, so y'all just have to deal with me. No. Paul says, stop condemning each other. Because those who knew that they could come as they are were starting to condemn those who didn't know that. And vice versa, those who didn't know that were condemning those who did know better. Y'all with me? So he says, so, stop, so let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. All right, look at verse 14. Watch this, come on. I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus, that no food, watch this now, no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. Now, again, you need to know this because, again, there are people now going around telling you you can't eat certain foods. Do y'all know anybody like that who will tell you that you're wrong? Look at what the text says. This is Bible. It says, in, it says, I am I know and I'm convinced on the thought of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person, it is wrong. Y'all got it? For that person, it is wrong. If you have a cousin that grew up and they, they, they were told in that particular denomination that eating pork meat was wrong, it was sinful. And that's in their conscience. If they eat pork meat to them, it becomes sin. Even though you know better, you can eat it if you want to. 
And it's, it's not sinful, but to that person it is sin. That's what he says. Look at the next verse. Come on, let's go. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, in other words, you took your liberty uh, and, and, and tore those pork ribs up right in front of that person who believed that pork ribs was wrong, guess what God says? And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Now watch this. It takes a mature person to lay down their liberty to cause someone who is not strong in the faith to not feel bad because you use your liberty to eat the pork meat and they thought it was wrong. Is everybody with me? All right. We can apply this to several other areas. Like I said, dress codes. Uh, your dress, how you dress on the outside does not make you right. Look at the next verse. Come on, let's go move. It says, then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. Next verse, come on. For the kingdom of God, watch this, it's not a, it's not a matter of what you eat or drink. Righteousness is not about what you eat or drink, he says, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the what? Holy Spirit. Okay, next verse, come on. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. 19 says what? So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and let's try to do what? Let's try to build each other up. Let's aim for harmony in the church. Don't spend all your time at Thanksgiving and at Christmas arguing with your relatives about your faith walk. If you're going to have relatives over, don't sit, don't sit there all day arguing the, about the, the, theology. Because most of the time, people are just trying to prove their point. They're not, they're not, they're not trying to get understanding. I, I quickly, I mean, I, I discern this very quickly, especially in the barbershop. Don't get into barbershop and beauty shop theological arguments. It, 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 it makes no sense. Because that person is just trying to prove their point, and you don't want to get pulled into that. If someone really wants to know the truth, sit down and let's, say, let's reason out of the scripture. Don't do it in the barbershop, though. Not a good atmosphere. Look at the next verse. Come on, let's go. Hurry, hurry. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods, watch this. Everybody say all. All foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is wrong to drink something. Hello, hello. If it makes another person stumble. I got an uh-huh over here. It is wrong to drink something if it causes another brother to stumble. Look at verse 21. Let's go. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. This is Paul writing to the church at Rome as he has a melding or meshing together of Gentile and Jewish believers. And so you have these people come from these different backgrounds and you have these people have, who have these convictions. And, and sometimes, guys, we have convictions that, 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 that maybe were rooted up in us because of what we learned growing up in our particular church. Can anybody think of anything that, you, that maybe uh, you grew up with, but now you got liberty on? Washing clothes on Sunday. How many of y'all were told it was a sin to wash clothes on Sunday? 
How many of y'all told it was a sin to wash your car on Sunday? And, and there was a period of time where it was a sin to cook on Sunday. You had to cook on Saturday for Sunday. I guess you, it, it must have been a sin to warm it up, I don't guess. What, anybody remember that? Now, now watch this. Now, again, if that's what you were taught and that's your conviction, if you start cooking on Sunday and, and you hadn't read what we were reading here, then to you, cooking on Sunday becomes what? Sin, because you did what? You violate your conscience. I would never go into a church, and again, the dress code thing, you know, we give you liberty here to dress in moderation. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't want you to, we don't want you to abuse that privilege because one thing you don't want to do, particularly ladies, ladies particularly, you don't want to draw so much attention to yourself that it takes attention away from what God is trying to do in the service. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? In other words, you don't want to wear something that when you walk down the aisle, the brother stop lifting up, hold a hand and start watching you. Can we be real? You don't want to dress that's so short or pants that are so tight or that are so revealing that it, it, it takes not that can, can we be real? If, if, if there's a certain attire that comes, so it's going to capture somebody's attention. So what you want to do is dress in moderation so that your, 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 your dress doesn't draw attention away from what God wants to do in the service. And that's the same thing for guys. I mean, I, 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 it's probably less so with guys because guys are generally more visually stimulated than ladies are. Is that, would that be an accurate, stereotypical st statement I just made? Guys, guys look more than women do. Christian guys look too. <laughs> Hello? So we want to keep things in moderation, right? All right? But, again, don't want to get sidetracked. It says it is, it is better not to eat meat or to drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. We want to be careful about that. If it causes another believer to stumble, stumble. Verse, 40, verse 22, come on, let's go. It says, you may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. Look at they said, blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something that they have decided is right. Now again, remember, what is he dealing with here? He's dealing with issues that 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 are culture in nature because, again, remember, we have Gentiles and Jews coming together into this new institution that's called the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there are certain things that, that, that was causing friction between these two groups, uh, and, and Paul wanted to make sure that that didn't stop the spread of the gospel. So take it in context. Everybody say context rules the day. All right, now let's go to 1 Corinthians the third chapter, verse number 11. So everybody understand what, what, what we just went over right there. Quit judging people based off of that. Now, again, most people will say this. Don't judge me. And what most people mean when they say that, that means don't call out my sin. What Paul was saying there wasn't about calling out people's sin as much as it was. There were things that people had liberty on and they were judging 
the, the righteousness of that person based on how they interface in that particular activity. Eating the meats off of the idol. Drinking certain things that cause other people to stumble. Okay? Y'all with me? So 1 Corinthians third chapter. So we said that uh, our, our number two says, future judgment ought to motiv motivate present repentance for everyone. We know it's going to come. This judge, this again, what we're going to see here in 1 Corinthians the third chapter I need you to understand, this judgment doesn't have anything to do with whether or not the Christian will remain saved. Rather, it has to do with the receiving or losing of rewards based on how we live after becoming a believer. See, once you are saved and truly saved, God seals you with his Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. But there's going to be a judgment time for all believers. It's called the Bema judgment seat, B-E-M-A. Watch what the text says. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Look at the next verse. Let's go. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. Next verse. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. Now, again, See if you remember, what foundation were they building on? Let's, okay, let's back up to verse 11. Let's see. I had a couple people caught it. What does it say here? Well, first of all, who's talking? Who's he talking to? Church of Corinth. Notice what it says. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have. Jesus Christ is the foundation for everything that we do as a ministry. Y'all got that? Now watch that. Who's the foundation? So when we say that, what do we mean? Jesus Christ, him, him, him crucified, buried, and resurrected from the grave, and us receiving that sacrificial death and understanding what it meant and saying, Jesus, I want you to become my Lord and my Savior. I believe that you are God's only son. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you were buried and resurrected the third day morning according to the scripture. And right now, I invite you to come into my heart to save me. And I receive you into my heart by faith. And now I'm in right relationship with God based on that confession. That's my foundation for salvation. So now I got to start building on the foundation. Anybody goes to build, anytime you go to build a house, you got to do what? Have a solid, solid foundation. Watch what the text says. Next verse, verse 12. Let's go. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. Next verse says, but on the judgment day, fire revealed what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. This is at the beam of judgment seat of Christ. All believers will have their life examined since we became born again. How did we do what we did? What was our motivation? Were we trying to get glory or were we trying to give God glory? How many of you know we can look like we're trying to give God glory? Glory to God. But sometimes we're trying to give ourselves glory. You, you, never, know, you never know sometimes what people's motivation is until uh, they don't get what they get or they don't, they don't get the results that they desire from doing what they did. Some people, some people do ministry so they can get their name called out publicly. If, they, if, they, if their name is not called out publicly, you'll, you'll find out real soon why they did what they did. Because they will dress you down because you forgot to call their name because they were over that program. And they got mad. People do get mad when their name is not called. So 
Guess what's going to happen to that work when they get up into the beam of judgment seat of Christ? Fire is going to reveal that they did it for the wrong reason. And it's going to do what? Burn up. It's going to zap it. Everybody say zap it. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. 14 and 15. Let's go. If the work survives, that builder, which is you and I, will receive a reward. Verse 15. Let's read. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a walls of, wall of flame. In other words, you're going to be saved, but your, your, your stuff going to get burned up. It's going to just burn up. When you work for vacation Bible school and your heart wasn't right, you're over there fussing at the kid, halfway cussing them. And that your work came up. You did it, but your attitude wasn't right. You sang, but your attitude wasn't right. You did it for your self-glory. Anytime we do anything in ministry and our hearts are not right, God sees that. He loves us, but he wants us to correct that. And so whenever you do anything in ministry, when you work in ministry, please, please learn not to do it uh, out of selfish motivation or do it um, just grudgingly. God loves for us to do things with the, with the right spirit. Okay, let's get back. All right, so it, we, all of our works are going to be judged. So we have a coming judgment day. Look, look at chapter 9 with me, verse number, in the same 1 Corinthians, look at chapter number 9, look at verse number 24. 1 Corinthians 9, verse number 24. 24 through 27. It says what? Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs? But only one person gets the prize, so run to win. Now, guys, back, back up. When we get to heaven, guess what? There's not going to be an equal distribution of rewards and crowns. Everybody don't get the same thing. The crowns and rewards that we get are going to be based on what we do here on earth. Okay? So, so I mean, thank God that you got in. Because I remember people who say this, and I, 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 at one point in time, I, I grasp hope to this, too, because they would say, if I can just make it in. How many of y'all remember that? People just say, if I can just make it in. And some people live like they just made it in. You, your, your mentality should never be, I just want to just barely get by to get, make sure I get to heaven. No, I have the confident assurance that when I accept Christ as my personal Savior, heaven is already my home. It's not a matter of me doing enough good to just to get in. When I accept Christ as my personal Savior, I'm in. Now, what kind of rewards am I going to get? What kind of crowns am I going to get? When my, when my life is examined, when my life's work is examined as a believer, will it stand the test of fire? Will it be really, truly, genuine, God-honoring work? Or will it be stuff that I did because I was made to do it? I felt guilt. I was guilty when to doing it. Or I did it with the wrong attitude, or I did it for self-glory, or I did it, you know, for what for selfish motivation to try to get whatever I'm trying to get. That stuff will be judged. And it, it, it's gonna be tested by fire. Don't you realize that in the race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. 25. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. 27. So I run with purpose in every step. 
I'm not just what? I'm not just shadow boxing. 27. Y'all know what shadow boxing is, right? That's beating against the air. You look good beating against the air, but once an opponent get in there, you, you ain't got nothing. All right? I discipline my body like an athlete, training to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself, be, I myself might be disqualified. Okay? So, again, this judgment that we're talking about doesn't have anything to do with us getting to heaven. We are, if you truly are born again and accept Christ, your personal Savior, heaven is your home. This judgment is talking about how we do our Christian life and the works that we do down here. Okay? Let the judgment seat of Christ motivate you to pursue righteousness daily. Look at the third point that we gave you in, in the, as we look at the survey of this book of Joel. Because again, remember, what had happened to these people? The locusts came. It was a foreshadowing of the coming judgment of God. The coming judgment of God was because they had disobeyed God. They had gotten, they'd gotten uh, wealthy. They would gotten uh, prosperous. And they became complacent in their service to God. So number three, we said immediate repentance from sin can stop God's judgment. Go to Joel chapter number two. Look at verse number 13. Joel chapter number two and look at verse number 13. Is everybody still with me? Joel chapter two, verse number 13. Immediate repentance from sin can stop God's judgment. God would rather for us to correct it than him to have to bring judgment. How many of y'all as parents would rather for your child to stop doing that, that behavior that warrants discipline or corporal punishment than for you to have to come in and whip them? I don't know a parent worth his salt that likes whipping their children. Right? And I, I sure don't know a grandparent that likes doing it because most grandparents don't ever get around to doing it. I think it's in grandparents' DNA to spoil the children. Some of y'all are whipping, but some, yeah, most, most times y'all spoil them with rascals, okay? But, but no, no, no true parent looks forward to disciplining their child. You would rather for them to make the conscious choice and decision to remove themselves from that behavior that's already been identified as being against uh, your parental instruction or against God's will, right? Look at what it says here. Watch this in verse Joel 2 and 13. Let's read together. So we said number three, immediate repentance from sin can stop God's judgment. Joel indicated it was not too late for his people to avert disaster if only they would repent. So repent means what? To turn away from. But unfortunately, the Israelites refused, consistently refused to listen. Okay? Don't tell your clothing and your grief, but tell your hearts instead. Now remember, this is something that he's saying here. What would happen when they were in grief? What, what was the outward sign that people would do? They would, they would, do, they would rent their clothes. They would tear their clothes and just in, in, as a sign of grief. And they, would, they, would, they would dress up in sackcloth and ashes. And they would tear, rent their clothes in grief. What he's saying is, is don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. In other words, don't just do something on the outside that makes you th make people think that you're repenting, that you're grieving, and you're really not repenting and grieving. Maybe you, how many of y'all have been sorry you got caught? Here's how you can tell, you, and see, it almost looks like repentance when you're sorry that you got caught. Because when people are sorry they got caught, they cry. And it looks like somebody who truly repented. They cried. You saw you got caught. You sob. You plead for another chance. Baby, please. I promise I ain't going to do it again. I ain't going to ever. I just ain't going to ever. Any of y'all ever say, anybody had to beg? Carl, remember y'all did that song, I'm Not Too Proud to Beg? 
Y'all were doing the step. Who, who was that? The Temptations or something? I don't know who it was. But, but, but I'm sure there are plenty of guys here who, who, who lost their manhood and their dignity and you begged. <laughs> maybe some ladies who begged. Or maybe, you, listen, guys, listen. Be, feeling sorry can almost feel like repentance. But here's the difference. When you truly repent, you turn away from it. If I'm just sorry I got caught, just give me, you know, two or three weeks and I'm going to be back doing the same thing. If you still doing the same thing, you didn't repent. You, just, you were just sorry you got caught. And you boohooed and cried and told a bunch of lies. Because you're back doing the same thing. All right? True repentance results in a change of direction. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. Guys, I'm here to tell you, God loves every last one of us in here. I know some of us in here, all of, not some of us, all of us in here have messed up royally before, haven't you, since you've been born again? Have you messed up and did something that you said, doggone it, I wish I hadn't done that? I know I have. I'm, can I confess? I know I've messed up royally in my life as a believer. So, so, so I'm thankful that I have a God who's slow to get angry. I'm thankful I have a God who's filled with unfailing or unconditional love. He loves me even through my mess. He is eager to relent and not punish. No parent really wants to punish their child. No parent really wants to take the car away from the, that you paying no so and not sitting in the driveway and can't be moved because your child wouldn't do what you told him to do. You bought it for them to enjoy. But, everybody say but. But because you love them, you got to discipline them. Any parent that knows what true God-honoring love is will always discipline their child because they know it will help them going forward. Amen? Show me a parent that doesn't discipline their child. I'll show, I'll show you a parent that don't, doesn't really understand what true love is all about. Okay? So he is eager to relent and not to punish. Now, go uh, point number four. All right? So before we go to... Go, Let's, point number four, and I want to go to Hebrews 12, 5 through 6, and then we'll go to 1 Corinthians 11. Can y'all move with me right quick? Despite any disciplinary measures God engages in with his people, he nevertheless has a blessed future awaiting them. That's what he tells his, his, his nation, the Israelites here in Joel. They got a blessed future. They were, his, they were still his chosen people. All right, go to Hebrews 12 with me right quick. Hebrews 12, verse 5 through 6. Come on, come on, come on. Verse 5 says, and you have forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children. He said, he said my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Watch this. And don't give up when he corrects you. And parents, understand this. I mean, if, if your child, if you entrust your child, let's say, for instance, to a, a coach who's coaching the team. And you entrust your child to that coach. Um. Don't go in and put him off the team because he got corrected for doing something that he had no business doing. We have too many parents today who step in and when their child should be facing correction by the authority that they were up under, whether it's at school, whether it was over in Real for Christ or CK Kids, don't get mad at the volunteer who's working with your child. Find out what your child was doing. Because the moment you start pulling them out and removing correction from their life, 
they won't have the discipline that they need in order to live a productive life. And it, it'll, it'll come back to bite you in the behind every time. Okay? My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't give up when he corrects you. Sometimes the Lord has to correct us, y'all. And sometimes that doesn't feel very good. But don't give up. Sometimes you're just going through a correction and God is trying to work some stuff out of you that shouldn't be in you. So that correction doesn't necessarily feel good, but guess what is good for what ails us? Look at the next verse. Come on, let's read. It says what? For the Lord, what does he do? He disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. That's what he does, right? He disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 11, chapter, verse number 31. Just want to read one scripture there. 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 31. Watch this. Watch this. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. And I'm, I don't have time to go contextually. This is Paul writing to the church of Corinth. Basically, what he says is, if, if we judge it, God wants to judge it. If we, if we just, if we examine ourselves, then we would not be judged by God in this way. If we was examine ourselves and say, that's wrong, I'm going to stop doing that and turn away from it, God doesn't have to come in and judge it. But if we don't, guess what's going to happen? If you belong to him, he's going to judge it. So, number four, we said, despite any disciplinary marriage of God engages him with his people, he nevertheless has a blessed future awaiting from them. God promised his people that their time of suffering would be followed by both material and spiritual blessing. Everybody say material and spiritual blessing. See, God has a way of restoring material and spiritual blessing. He also was going to restore their respect and honor amongst the, the nations, respect and honor. He was going to restore peace and national security with his people. See, God was going to bring complete and total restoration. So uh, number five, point number five, there will be a future outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the faithful in Judah. Now, we, I'm, I'm going to stop right here because this next part is something that we really want to dig into. Here's what I believe Sean, is the missing element in the church today. The missing element in the average church today is the believer or the church's uh, reluctance or inability or lack of understanding the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church. We've been running from the Holy Spirit for so long because we were scared of it, and he is part of the Godhead. And so when we embrace the Holy Spirit, we get the power source that enables us to live a victorious Christian life. So we're going to talk about next week, uh, the, you know, there will be a future outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the faithful in Judah. And we're going to see how, that, how, that, how the Holy Spirit currently has many wonderful ministries to Christian believers today. The Holy Spirit will embrace his work in our life. He will empower us to do some supernatural things. Okay, so we'll pick up there next week. Uh, uh, about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Give the Lord a hand of praise. God bless you. All right, if you have prayer...